0: Good morning, friends. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open those to the Gospel of John, John chapter 18. And today we read John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. That is our scripture reading this morning. And today we see a man named Pilate. And I want you to read this passage through his eyes. I want you to see it through his perspective. This is what it says in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early. Notice that. That's very important. And they themselves did not enter into the victorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover meal. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man named Jesus? They answered and said to him, If this man were were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Now, okay, then take... Him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. What's the irony of that? Think about the book of Acts. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, You, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, Am I? I'm not a Jew, am I? For your nation and chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You said correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And notice what Pilate's response is here. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This says the Lord. Amen. Today, I I want to talk to you about truth, about truth through the eyes of Pontius Pilate. Today we go deep into the story of Pontius Pilate. And today we see this story not from 30,000 feet, but from 6 feet through his eyes. Because today Pilate asks Jesus a question, what is truth? And what's the irony of that question? He asks what is truth to the truth? John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. But first, let me, let me know if you agree with this statement. Yes or no, the most important question you can ever answer is, what is truth? Agree or disagree, true or false, the most important question you can ever answer is, what is truth? I would say that that is a very true statement. This question is the foundation of everything. Think about just life itself. People search their whole lives to answer the question, what is truth? They will literally look under every rock, under everything, underneath the sun to find out what is truth. True or false? Pop quiz, true or false this morning? What you believe to be truth is the basis of your life. True or false, what you believe to be truth determines the actions you take in life. True or false, what you believe to be true determines your view of yourself. Your self-worth, your hope for tomorrow, your joy... True or false, what you believe to be truth often dictates the major decisions of your life. It dictates the spouse you choose, the the career you choose. True or false, sometimes even we as Christians can be blind to truth. All of those are truth. All of your decisions in life, to some level, really boil down to what you believe is truth, to the question that Pilate asks Jesus today in John chapter 18, verse 38. What is truth? If you believe that you are valued and loved by God, then you will behave a certain way, that you will have confidence. But if you believe that God is right around the corner, ready to zap you for every wrong that you ever do, you will live paranoid, right? The way you live your life, every part of your being boils down to some level as to what you believe is true. But the funny thing about truth is that we all seek to answer the question, what is truth? But so many times, even we as Christians can be blind to the truth. People are blinded to the truth by pride. They're blinded to the truth by the influence of other people. They're blinded to the truth by the opinions of others. They're blinded to the truth because of distractions in life. They're blinded to the truth because of busyness. We all seek truth to shape our lives, but we're often blind to find it. I'm going to say something. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a true follower of Christ Jesus, then you believe in the truth. Amen? But sometimes we as a Christian can be blind to it. We think the scripture says a certain thing, but it does not. Or we behave in a certain way that the scripture does not command us to do. Sometimes we as Christians can even be blind to the truth that we believe. Today we see a man named Pontius Pilate and we see him wrestle with truth. And he wrestles with truth so much that he asks the truth, what is truth? And today we see this, this inner working, this turmoil come upon this man named Pontius Pilate as he faces a very difficult decision between knowing the truth and doing the truth. So that is kind of the setting of our story today. Today my sermon title is Pilate's Plight Part 1. The word plight defined by the dictionary, those still exist, but now not in book form. It's called Google, right? Okay. The dictionary, according to Google, says a plight is a very dangerous, difficult, or otherwise unfortunate situation. That sums it up. Pilate before him is has a plight. He knows the right thing to do and struggles to do the right thing. But at the basis of it all, at the basis of his decision, he struggles to answer the question, what is truth? So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open those to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, I'm using the New American Standard Version, 1995. And again, in John chapter 18, we see a very familiar story. And oftentimes when we look at a Bible passage, or when we, especially when we look at a very familiar story in the Scriptures, we don't really view it from a six-foot level. We don't view it through the eyes of the characters. We view it from 30,000 feet. But today I want you to see this story through the eyes of Pontius Pilate. I'm going to say Pontius and Pontius. It's really Pontius, but I can't help myself call Pontius, okay? It's just the way it is. I've called him Pontius all my life. It's just the way I'm going to say it this morning. I'm going to interchange him, sorry. But this morning we're going to see this story through his eyes, through a Roman governor, that in the midst of his heart he is struggling to answer the question, what is truth? And he understands what is the right thing to do and struggles to do it. But as we pick up in John chapter 18, where are we in the story of the gospel of John? If you know this story, as we pick up in John chapter 18, Jesus has less than 12 hours to live. At 10 p.m. the previous night, Jesus completed his Passover meal, and then he shares with his disciples... In the upper room, a message called the upper room discourse. And if you remember at the end of John 14, Jesus leaves the upper room after the Passover meal. He he walks down the steps through the streets of Jerusalem. He sees a grapevine, John chapter 15. And then he's heading through the streets of Jerusalem, past the ravine of the kindred, up to the Mount of Olives, to a garden at the top called the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he waits. And there he prays, John 17, and there he waits for his friend-turned-foe, Judas Iscariot, the heel of all of literature. To be, he waits there to be betrayed by his friend for $1,000 or 30 pieces of silver. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, Jesus is arrested by Judas And he is taken away to three different Jewish trials from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. He has three different trials. He has one before Annas, one before Caiaphas, and one before the Sanhedrin. And then at 6 a.m., where we pick up today, it says, and it was early. John chapter 18, verse 28, where we pick up today, it's 6 a.m. And Caiaphas and Annas and the Sanhedrin drag Jesus before a man named Pontius Pilate. And there he is tried before the Roman governor. But remember today, I'm going to call a quick time out. Today, I do not want to view this story from 30,000 feet. I want to see this story through the eyes of Pilate. So let us answer the question, who is Pilate? Who is he? If we're going to see this story through his eyes, we must understand who he is. Who is Pontius Pilate? What is his background? Not much is known of his early life. Some rumors held that he was the illegitimate child of a conquered king. Some rumors say that Pontius Pilate committed murder inheriting his name. But really not much is known about the man that has Jesus killed. Believe it or not, Pilate is not just mentioned in the scripture in all four gospel accounts, but it's also mentioned by historians. The historian of Josephus and an early church historian named Eusebius. And based on all four gospel accounts, based on Josephus and Eusebius, we see a more complete picture of the man that sentences Jesus to death. Who is Pilate? Number one, he is impulsive. He is impulsive, and I'll share a story about that here in just a moment. Number two, Pilate is a schmoozer. He is more impressed with impressing, or he's more dedicated to impressing the Roman emperor than he cares for the cares of his people. Number three, Pilate is troubled. John chapter 18, verse 38, we see a man that is outwardly impulsive. He is a schmoozer of the Roman emperor, but we see his inner working that he is inwardly troubled. Who else is Pilate? Pilate, according to Josephus, is cruel. He is greedy. He is inflexible. He is cruel. He has resorted to robbery and oppression. He has a complete disdain for Jewish customs. Number five. Pilate is proud, arrogant, cynical, weak, and vacillating. I hope no one describes you as all that, okay? It's not a good start for this story. But what else do we see? Just from the four gospel accounts, what else is he? Number five, he is a career man. He has worked his way up through the ranks of the Roman government, and his assignment to be governor of Judea is not an easy one but it is potentially a career maker. And his job, as governor of Judea, his job is onefold. Keep the peace. That is his job. And how has he done so far? Well, according to Josephus, and according to other accounts, Josephus has gotten a big F. He has failed. His seven years to this point have been a complete disaster. Pilate was appointed by Tiberius to be the governor of Judea in 26 AD, and seven years later, he finds himself to be in a very difficult position to keep the peace with only 1,500 men under his disposal. But I want you to think about Pilate's assignment to this point. It's not an easy one. His job is to keep the peace. But what do you know about Israel, and especially the 400 years of silence? I did, a, I did a sermon some four months ago about the 400 years of silence. And ever since that time period, the Jews have had an aversion, a skepticism over any foreign oppression. What happened? Antiochus Epiphanes and the abomination of desolation. Since that day, the Maccabean Revolt, since that time period, the Israelites have been so... Averse to any foreign oppression. And think about one of Jesus' own disciples. What is one of his disciples? It is Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a Jewish sect that tried to usher in the kingdom of God by throwing out the Romans. And this toxic, this conflict-oriented kingdom, in area called Judea, comes to a head in 70 AD. The Roman Empire at the time gets so tired of the constant rebellions and riots in the nation of Israel that the Roman Empire sends his generals in. He destroys the temple in 70 AD, and he takes the nation of Israel and disperses them all over the Roman Empire. To this point, Pilate's rule has not gone well, and we would say it's been a disaster And Pilate's job to keep the peace has only been made worse by Pilate's own doing. Pilate, to this point, we don't see this in the biblical accounts, but Pilate has been uh, the ruler over Judea for seven years, and he's already made three massive mistakes that led to three different insurrections. Mistake number one, Was that he moved his headquarters from Caesarea or near modern day Tel Aviv Close to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea He moves the Roman headquarters from Caesarea to Jerusalem Okay, so if you're a Roman soldier What do you inevitably bring with you from Caesarea into the holy city of Israel? You bring pictures of gods and pictures of the Roman emperor And guess what happens? An insurrection, it bubbles over So, Pilate quickly realizes his mistake, moves his headquarters back to Caesarea, but Pilate kind of goes in between the two cities. Mistake number two is Pilate hung golden shields in his palace, inscribed with the names of deities. Now, if he didn't learn for the first time, he should have learned from the second time, because, once again, the nation of Israel has a massive insurrection. So, there have been two riots so far, and then he makes the biggest mistake of all. Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, sees his city in Jerusalem struggling for a water source. So Pilate has the brilliant idea of making a bigger aqueduct to feed the city water. And Pilate has only one problem to build that aqueduct. He doesn't have the money. It's a problem for a lot of us. Amen? Okay, so instead of you know, sending in a government proposal to Caesar... He decides to rob the temple, okay? Now, if he hasn't learned already from the insurrections, this one's a big boo-boo. So he goes in, he robs the temple, causing a massive riot, which leads to the slaughter of many Jews in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. So when we come into the story, Pilate has three strikes against him. And his only job in Judea is to keep the peace. So we understand why Pilate acquiesces. We understand now why Pilate just washes his hands and is done with it and sentences Jesus to death. Who is Pilate the man? He is a man, if you have your notes, with three strikes against him. He is nervous. He is on edge. He is scared. And he is afraid that one more, one more rebellion will tip Favor out of Rome for him. Who is Pilate? He is impulsive, vacillating, and inwardly searching for the answer to the question, What is truth? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you ever wondered the question, What is truth? How many of you have ever wondered what Pilate asks Jesus today? And how many of you have found it? The fact that you are here today tells me that you have probably found the truth of all truths. Jesus Christ and the word of God that God put together for us. Today we talk about truth. And what I want you to do is I want you to notice your text with me. John chapter 18 verses 28 through 40 breaks down into three main pieces. You have the public accusation in verses 28 through 32. You have the private interrogation in verses 33 through 37. And then you have Pilate acquiesce. He just gives in, gives the Jews what he wants, and lets go Barabbas, and has Jesus crucified. Notice the public accusation. There's a lot here we're going to talk about when it comes to culture. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. Now what is the praetorium? Praetorium, there's some discussion on what this actually is. It's it's mainly Pilate's headquarters, but it's also a Jewish judgment hall. The praetorium is where they would hold court, is where criminals of the state were brought to be tried before the Roman government. The praetorium in today in Madison County is the Madison County Courthouse, to kind of put that in perspective. It's a little bit different, obviously, but this is the main comparison. But then notice number two, it says that it was early... That word right there in the original language is the Greek word proway. It is a very important word. It tells me in the original language that this is, this event happens at sunrise. So although it was very early in the morning, notice that Pilate was up and active. He had, he was already clothed. Why? Because the previous night at 2 a.m. he sent forth his Roman cohort, his Roman soldiers, and so he knew something was up, and then Caiaphas, honest and the Sanhedrin bring Jesus to him when it was early at sunrise. Now, why is that important? First off, it tells me, obviously, that the trial began at 6 a.m., but it tells me something else that is far more important. It tells me that the three trials that Jesus has already experienced before Caiaphas, honest and the Sanhedrin happened between the hours of 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, why is that important? Have you ever heard the term that Jesus suffered six illegal trials? Have you ever heard that term before? Well, Jesus inherited, went forth through three illegal Jewish trials. According to Levitical law, it was illegal to host trials at night. That all criminal trials had to be conducted from between sunup and sundown. So hence, think about this. Caiaphas, Annas, and the Sanhedrin... Accuse Jesus of being an evildoer, yet they falsely accuse and break the Levitical law themselves. Which makes them what? It makes them hypocrites. So the three trials that Jesus has already in, gone through are illegal because only Jewish trials should happen between sunrise and sunset. They led Jesus up to the Praetorium and then notice again in verse 28, they says they did not enter it because they did not want to be defiled. What time of year is it? It is Passover meal. They are ceremonially cleansed and could not risk defilement by entering into the Jewish Gentile, excuse me, into a Gentile establishment. But then notice with me the actual accusation in verse 30. They answered and said, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have it delivered to you. So Pilate said to him, take take him yourselves and judge him according to the law. What is their only accusation in the Gospel of John that he is an evildoer? Okay, that's a little bit vague. Okay, but what are the two ironies here in this accusation that this man is an evildoer? But if you actually dig down deeper into the other gospel accounts, there is a threefold accusation that Jesus is a usurper, that he's a tax evader, which is not true because he paid his taxes. you remember that story? And number three, they accuse him of claiming to be a king, which he is. But the irony of it all is that within the context of the gospel of John, the only evildoer are Caiaphas Honest in the Sanhedrin, the very people that are accusing Jesus of doing wrong are the ones that are wrong themselves. What is truth? What is preventing Caiaphas from believing the truth? What is causing Caiaphas not to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? One word it is pride. Think about the Sanhedrin Think about the chief priests What have they done to this point over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again They have set traps for Jesus Trying to catch him in one wrong And guess what They have been turned aside every time That Jesus has passed with flying colors So they have failed again and again and again What can't they admit at this time That Jesus is the truth So what do they say That Jesus is an evildoer Despite having no evidence for it They accuse Jesus and other gospel of being a blasphemer but Jesus is the only non-evildoer he is the only innocent one he is the only spotless one in this whole story the reason Caiaphas, honest, and Sanhedrin do not believe in Jesus is because of pride if they would just open their eyes to see the truth then they would see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is God himself sent by the Father to be the propitiation for their sins. But pride blinds them to truth. Let me ask you a question. Um, I believe pride is an issue for everyone that's ever lived, non-Christian and Christian alike if you're a non-believer in Jesus Christ, if you're here, you're tuning in online, is pride blinding you to the truth of the gospel? But if you're a Christian here, is pride blinding you to the truth of the scripture? Sometimes in life we don't feel like we really don't need God, so then we kind of put on a shield of pride, and then we really aren't obedient to his call. What is truth? Is pride blinding us to the truth and to be obedient to it? But then notice in verse 31, why are they even there? Notice what Pilate says. And so Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. So what does Pilate say? I don't want this problem. I expected it. I sent out my Roman cohort the night before, but I don't want this. You guys go and take care of it. But the Jews said, we are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke signifying by which kind of death he was about to die. The reason the Jews took him to Pilate is because they wanted Pilate to put him to death. The Jews could not enact capital punishment. There's an irony there, and we'll talk about it here in just a second. I want you to think about the book of Acts. Here in just a moment, I'm going to mention a story that they don't really abide by here. But it's, it's argued among scholars that in 30 AD that the Roman government took away the Jewish right of capital punishment, which means probably what? That they disagree with Rome over how it is used. But they, they ask here Pilate's, Pilate's permission for Rome to kill Jesus, but what happened in the book of Acts? What they get tired of, they had a man named Stephen stoned to death. So here they need Rome, but later on, only in a mere months, they stone Stephen to death. Which tells me what? Think about this: that God's sovereign hand is upon this story. Why do I say that? It's because Jesus must die a certain way, right? Isaiah 53, Psalm 34, verse 20 says, Not one of his bones would be broken. What would happen if he would be stoned? Every bone in his body would be broken. So you see the sovereign God of the universe arranging the stories and the details of this time to make sure Jesus is the full fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Once again, it proves that Jesus is the truth, that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that God's sovereignty owes over all of it. So God is working controlling Caiaphas' actions at this particular moment to make sure that the Son of God is killed in a way that fully fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecies. And then you see the public accusation that Jesus is an evildoer. Now, once again, keep your, keep your eyes at six feet. Think about the way Pilate sees this. All Pilate wants to do is what? Keep the peace. He already has three strikes against him. One more, and he's probably out. And he is. Actually, according to scholars, in a couple of years, he gets yanked out of Judea for doing a terrible job. So, Pilate here wants to keep the peace. So, he just wants to kind of acquiesce and just keep everybody happy. Which you never can. Amen, right? Preachers know that best. Okay, moving on. Notice verse 33. So, you have the public accusation, and then you have the private interrogation. Verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Verse 35 Pilate answered I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests delivered you to me What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so I would not be handed over to the Jews. Pause real quick. What does that tell you about Peter? What does it tell you about what Peter thought in the Garden of Gethsemane? But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. What is the private interrogation? It's really only one question. Are you, literally originally, you... Are you the king of the Jews? It seems to be Pilate is almost antagonizing Jesus, the sovereign God over all the universe, the son of God. That Pilate seems to be antagonizing him. Why? Because Jesus, that stands before him, doesn't look like much of a king. He's just a man sitting there. He's probably a little bit sleep deprived. He's not, just kind of looks ordinary. And he says, Are you, you, the king of the Jews? And notice how Jesus responds. How does Jesus answer him? Verse 34, and Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? What is he doing there? He's questioning why. He's questioning Pilate's motivation for asking the question. I'm going I'm to extend an olive branch for just a second. I believe that Jesus here is extending an olive branch to Pilate. He is trying to prove that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the Savior and Messiah of the world. And then Jesus answers his own question indirectly in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. And what is the evidence? Notice in the text, my kingdom is not of this world. What is the evidence that his kingdom is not of this world? If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Christ's kingdom is spiritually active in the world. And one day he will return physically and bodily form to reign on earth in the millennial kingdom. But until then, his kingdom exists in the hearts of believers where he's undisputed king and lord and sovereign God over all. Notice Pilate's response. Verse 37. So you are a king. Jesus says, you say correctly that I am a king for this. I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus here is king over all the universe. And what's the question here? If Jesus is king, already king over the universe, if he's already king over all, why would he enter into the world? For this I have been born, for this I come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears My voice. Jesus came to testify to the truth. And who is truth? What is truth? Truth is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice verse 38. This is kind of the crux. Verse 37 and 38 is kind of the crux of the whole passage. Pilate. We see his inner working. We see his struggle. What does he say? What is truth? Pilate is trying to figure out what this is all about. He's trying to figure out what is truth. We see Pilate's inner strife. Isn't truth the central issue in all of our lives? I find it amazing that every single human being that has ever lived at some time, at some degree, has struggled to answer the question, what is? Is truth And Caiaphas is blinded to it Why? Because of his own pride He doesn't want to see who Jesus truly is He doesn't want to admit that he is wrong He doesn't want to admit that somebody else is Lord and King over him I've already mentioned this But if you are here today If you have never surrendered your life to the Lord Then you might be hiding behind a wall of pride Because you do not want to surrender that to Jesus as Lord and Master of your life what is blinding Caiaphas to truth is his own pride. He doesn't want to admit he is wrong. But here, Caiaphas, or excuse me, here, Pilate, what is blinding him to the truth? The opinions of others. Pilate is more concerned about the opinions of Rome than he is about the opinions of a Savior, Jesus Christ. That he would rather sacrifice believing and having eternal life because of somebody else's opinion. Let me just say something. Um, what is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. You might be blinded by pride, but you also might be blinded by the opinions of other people. I've known many people over my life that do not come to be, do not come to believe in the Lord because of their father would make fun of them or their mother would question their sanity. You know, you have a guy named Steve Herzig, who came to the Lord and sacrificed everything to follow Him. Maybe the reason you have not believed in Jesus Christ is because of the opinions of others. But then Pilate is just stuck in this weird predicament because he knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows what is the right thing to do. He knows the right thing to do is to let Jesus go. But he struggles to do the right thing because of the pressure that he feels from the crowd. So then Pilate gets a brilliant idea. Okay? Notice verse 39. Verse 39. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. What is Pilate's job? Pilate's job is to keep the peace. And he is in a pickle. If he lets Jesus go, he has a fourth insurrection. But if he kills Jesus, he kills an innocent man. So you see this Turmoil, the strife that he has. He causes the crowd to either choose between releasing Barabbas or releasing Jesus. And surely, in Pilate's mind at six feet, surely they'll release Jesus because he is innocent and they won't release Barabbas because Barabbas is a convicted felon. No one is worse than Barabbas here. Barabbas, according to other accounts, is a murderer. He's a robber. He's an insurrectionist. Keep that in mind here in just a second. And he is proven to be guilty. Okay, I'm going to pause something. Some commentary brought this up, and I thought it was just interesting. Who hung to Jesus' left and right? Robbers. How does it describe Barabbas? He was a robber. So you have three insurrectionists that were all robbers. And Jesus takes the place of Barabbas, and he is substituted in his place to die for the sins of the world. I'm not going to get off on the theologically, really speaking, but that is a picture of the gospel. That we are guilty as charged. We are Barabbas. That we are murderers if we hate our brother. That we are insurrectionists. That we rebel against God. That we are depraved in our mind, in our body, in our soul. And Christ saw our condition and he died in our substitute to be the satisfaction of the Father's wrath and need for justice. We see Barabbas being the substitute. substitute. Jesus is a substitute for Barabbas. Excuse me. And you have robbers on either side. And think about Pilate's perspective. Pilate's last-ditch effort to release the innocent backfires because not only does Pilate have to crucify the innocent, but he lets go what? He lets go an, an insurrectionist and a murderer. Guess what just happened? Pilate's job became that much harder. He released a man that tried to overthrow the Roman Empire. And Pilate is just absolutely stuck between a rock and a hard place, between knowing what is right and doing what is right. And Pilate publicly acquiesces. He gives in to the demands of the nation of Israel, and he has Jesus sentenced. And we will talk about his sentencing next week. What is truth? Truth is Christ. What is truth? Truth is Christ. And where we find him is in here. This is truth. I'm just going to speak. There are three reasons why in this particular passage these people are blind to truth. One is pride, the opinions of others, and the crowds are the influence of others. I'm going to speak to Christians in this room. Believe it or not, you and I can be blind to the truth of God's word. We can be blind to actually apply it and to live it out. We can think that the scripture says a certain thing, but it really does not. To those of us who hold the Bible as true, if you believe the Bible is truth, then you must, I'm going to say, you must be mindful. I'm going to share a verse. And if you do not have this reference put away in your mind or highlighted in your Bible or earmarked or dog-eared or or whatever, uh, highlighted in your Kindle, however you're accessing this online, however, highlight it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour our enemy is out there trying to convince Christians that the Bible is not true. I'm just. One of the things I love about this church in particular is that we have a lot of older generation here that have faithfully walked with the Lord for 50, 60, 70 years. That feat is rare. It really is. I have seen so many Christians. Walk away from the faith. I'm sure all of you have. I saw seminary grads. Soon as they graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, you didn't think this could actually happen because it's DTS, it is an awesome school. Soon as they graduated from DTS, they totally forsook everything that they once believed to be true. What happens? We as a Christian, the the enemy is out there trying to convince you that the word of God is not true. And the enemy starts with the edges. He erodes the edges. He says to you in your mind, well, the Genesis account really didn't happen that way. Or Noah's flood was really only on one part of the earth. Or there really wasn't a historical Adam. Or... It's hard to believe in the resurrection. I've seen people, the enemy, place that one stake in the ground that causes people to erode the edges of their faith and slowly they kind of just walk away from it all. They forsake the truth because the enemy has convinced them them that it's not. This is truth. What is truth? Truth is Christ that we find in the Scripture. Do not let the enemy... Shield you. Blind you with pride. Blind you with the opinions of others or the influences of others to convince you that the scripture is not true. Let me just say something else. Be careful who you associate with. Be careful what influences you let in your mind that would cause you to question this. I've been, I've been, I say this pretty regularly been teaching and preaching the scripture for almost 20 years and i'm more convinced today than ever that the bible is truth. that every jot and tittle that we have in here is absolutely the word of god do not let the enemy erode the edges of your faith do not let the enemy slowly tear down what you believe to be true but some of you today are christians you believe that the bible is true be careful not to let pride and the opinions of others and the influence of others erode your faith. But some of us are something else entirely. Um, I have a feeling like every Sunday morning there is a, a non believer in the room. Whether you're tuning in online or here today, I believe that there is a non believer in the room. And I believe that many of us are deceived that we believe in the truth because some preacher told us, or we walked the aisle, or we filled out a card, or something like that. But those things don't save you, faith does. Christ does. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Listen, if you if you have never been changed, if you have never been born again, if you are not a new creation, then you are probably not saved because the gospel that I see, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and it trans- changes our lives forever, that we cannot be the same. Some of us here today are blinded by pride. Some of us are blinded by the opinions of other people. Some of us are blinded by the influence of other people, just like the crowds. If you are, if you've never been changed by the blood of the Lamb, then believe in Him and be saved. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one will boast. What is truth? Truth is Christ. Believe in it. And be careful if you're a Christian. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for the message that you see in Pilate. This, this tor- torture and the turmoil of this man that is struggling to know the truth and to do the truth. A man that is struggling to understand the identity of Christ and, and to believe in him. And Lord, I just pray that we would not be like Caiaphas, Pilate, in the crowds. That we would behold you as truth. And that we would live according to it. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. Thank you for those tuning in online. I thank you for my saints uh, of all ages that are here. I just pray that you continue to work at Calvary Bible Church. And I thank you for how you have been working in this church. I have marveled over the last couple of months of how you have brought us together. And how you have really uh, changed and moved the church. And I, I am rejoiceful, re- rejoicing over how you have been working in this church. We thank you for today, and uh, we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.